So, yeah, what we're talking about, did I miss anything else? No. Now, what we're talking about is a really uh, big idea that I don't think we talk about enough, and it's the fact that just about everything in life has a cost, and that's something we know, but one thing we forget is that following Jesus has a cost. Following Jesus will often cost us things. One common cultural thought about faith in general um, is that basically all we do here is we're just trying to jump through certain hoops to make God happy. Like, that's what we do. We do certain things and we don't do certain things. We follow the thou shouts and the thou shalt nots just to make God happy so that we can go to heaven. And, you know, whether that's things like coming to church, putting money in the plate, uh, not saying bad words, at least in the church building, um, you get all the yelling out on your family in the car, that way when you come in, everyone's all smiles, that kind of stuff, right? And, and I don't want to give the idea here that all God wants from us is just for us to act nice and do a few things, and that's all he requires of us. That's not what faith is. It's not jumping through hoops to make God happy. God actually wants to rescue us from a disease called sin, that is one of his main goals for you and for me. This disease causes um, about everything about who we are and what we want to be to be marred in some way. It's tainted. It's corrupted. Our nature is corrupted. Our desires are corrupted. So that even the best we have to offer is hindered and brought back by sin. And so Jesus came to die on a cross to suffer the punishment that we deserve to pay for the wrong things we've done in this life. And so Jesus came to free us from the consequences of our sin, but not just that. He didn't just come to give us a ticket to heaven. He actually came so that he could break sin's hold on our life, and we could actually start being the kind of humans God intended us to be. We could start healing from this corruption that's in our souls, and we could start being better and better people over time. Again, not just for the sake of doing nice things to make God happy. He wants to heal us in ways that nothing else can heal us. In the New Testament book of Titus, um, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in, in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So there was a lot of stuff packed in there. He starts by saying that we used to be a mess. We were once disobedience. We were fools. We, uh, that disobedience, that corruption in us caused us to be kind of at war with God and at war with each other. Uh, he says that, God saved us not because we started doing good things. That's not what this is about. Salvation is not because we Christians cleaned ourselves up and acted nice. No, salvation comes because Jesus was good enough on our behalf. And then he says, after we become saved by Jesus, then God wants to wash us, give us his Holy Spirit so that we can be made new and have eternal life. And one thing, though, that we can often miss 
is that in this transformation, in, in taking on this new life, there's a lot of stuff that's got to become a part of our old life, meaning it's got to go away forever. Things we're going to have to say goodbye to and give up. And that can sound scary and bad in a lot of ways, especially when we start laying out certain things that, as a Christian, you shouldn't do these things anymore. You shouldn't think this way anymore. Here's some things that need to stop. That can start being scary because we like our lives. We like our old lives, right? Um, but what we have to understand, and this is kind of the main point we talked about last week, is that Jesus calls us to give up certain things so that we can follow him to better things. Our God has your best interest at heart. And he wants to take you to an amazing, better place. He wants to help you be more fully human as he intended it to be. The human race is not right now what he made us to be. We're, again, corrupted. We're, we're dirty with sin. And he wants to clean us up and elevate us to something better. And so what I want to talk about this week is not just changing our behavior, but I, but I want to talk about getting sin out of our lives at a deeper level than just behavior. And what's really tricky, though, is often sin is so ingrained in who we are that we don't even understand all the ways that it affects us. We don't understand how it changes the way that we think and live and speak and all of that. And so if we truly want to follow Jesus, it's really going to mean some major lifestyle changes for a lot of people. Um, and that's I mean, across the board, kind of something that is, is true. Um, the problem is that most of us assume that we're pretty good people, right? For, for centuries, the, the path of God has been kind of a part of our culture, in American culture, right? Christianity's had a really huge effect on our culture. And so for a long time, people thought, just by being an American and not by breaking the law all the time, I'm pretty much a good Christian. I'm pretty much doing all the right stuff. Okay? And so when we assume that we've got it all together, we tend to be overlooking sin that really lives inside of our hearts. And so, um, you know, oftentimes people will find their way to Jesus when they're not doing the right things and their life kind of blows up in their face and they're like, realize, oh boy, I need a life change. And so in that moment where they're trying to pick up the pieces of their life after they hit rock bottom, they kind of say, okay, I need to figure out some help, and they're very receptive to the gospel in those moments. That's some people's story, um, but that's not how a lot of people find their way to Jesus, right? That's not how I found my way to Jesus. Um, when I became a Christian, I was young. I hadn't had a chance to really mess my life, life up horribly wrong yet. Um, I wasn't a smart kid, but I hadn't had the freedom or the skills or the resources to really, you know, you know, drive my life off a cliff or anything like that. And so when I found my way to Jesus, I wasn't trying to put the pieces back together. Um, there wasn't some sort of monumental trauma in my life. I wasn't having some sort of existential crisis, wondering about the purpose of life or anything like that. Um, my road to Jesus was basically because I just kind of had those questions that people have, like, what happens when we die? And I just kind of wanted to know, like, what, what's the answer to that? And I grew up in, a, in an environment where Christianity was kind of there and assumed, and so the Bible seemed to be a normal place to look, and church seemed to be a normal place to look. Um, and so it wasn't my, uh, my, my search for Jesus didn't start because I had this obvious thing saying, you need to be a new person. I didn't have that. Um, and so when I became a Christian, I didn't really think about what needed to change in me. You know, there's the whole salvation part, 
right? Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, he died on a cross, and that's a big deal. But after that, what do I need to change? I don't know. I'm a pretty good person, right? I'm doing things pretty well. So I guess I don't need to change much. And that's the story of a lot of people. We come into church, we become Christians, and we just kind of assume we're doing all right. But that doesn't mean that you're opening your life to having God dig the sin out of you so that he can take you where he wants you to go. You know, and, the, and that's just kind of, I think, a tricky part of living in the amazing country that we live in. Life is pretty good for us. I mean, yes, we are all really being, you know, hurt by like gas prices and grocery prices and stuff right now. And we're all like really uncomfortable with that. And that's all we talk about in small talk before church. And we talk about it on social media, right? About, oh, this is unpleasant, right? But the reason that's such a big deal is because we have really comfortable lives for the most part. And things are really good. And I like my life. And many of you, you like your life. And so, again, it's another added element that keeps us from saying, I need to change. Because we kind of just walk into life going, I like my life. I feel like I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, I want to go to heaven. So, boom, add Jesus into that and carry on my merry way. But what if there is something inside of you that is not good and you do need to change? And what if the life that you like has things in it that don't need to be there and they're holding you back from who God wants you to be in your life? And so for many of us, our problem, it's not just that we're sinful. That's a human condition. That's every human, right? I've heard some people say, that's an all-skate. Like if you remember, the, you know, you go to the skating rink, right? That's an all-skate. Sin is an all-skate. We're all sinners, okay? That's just a universal thing. But one of the things that is unique to living in such an amazing place that we live and having the kind of amazing lives that we have is that we aren't even aware of our sin because it's just a part of who we are and things are going so well, we don't really even see the need to change it. Now, we're not the first people to have this problem. That's one thing that's so cool about the Bible is that often we look at it and we say, what an old book. I don't need that old book. It's hard to read. It surely doesn't have any relevance on me. It's 2,000 plus years old. But man, did the people back then sure have a lot of the same problems we do. Hmm, you'd almost think that like with all of our technology and advancements and smarts, that maybe humans just kind of keep recycling the same problems over and over and over again. And so in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he was a church planner and a pastor in the first century. He wrote a letter to the church in the city of Rome. And we call that book Romans. Um, he addresses kind of this exact issue. Um, and so if you want to grab a Bible, if you want to use a um, Bible app, whatever you want to do, if you want to follow along on the screen, um, we're going to be on page 942 in the Pew Bibles. Um, we're going to be at the end of Romans chapter 5 and the beginning of Rome, uh, Rome, beginning of Romans chapter 6, end of 5, first of 6 of the book of Romans, 942. We're going to break it up, so when I get done, don't close it, because then you're going to go, man, what page was that? I wonder how that works. So Romans chapter 5, verse 20, he says this, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying that the, when the laws that God gave in the Old Testament, the vows and thou shalt nots, right? 
Those were to highlight what was wrong. The sin was already there, but people become oblivious to the sin because it just becomes a part of life, and life gets okay, and you get in a rhythm, and you stop asking questions about it. And so he says God has given us these laws and commands to make us aware of the nastiness that affects us because on our own, we get blind to it. We become spiritually blind to the mess that we are in. Um, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, you don't have to flip there, but it says this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way to death. Like there's, the natural ideas that we often have aren't the best ideas. Our hearts don't always go to the right places. Now, what that means is that we are going to be terrible at recognizing the sin in ourselves. That's just the reality. Um, when I became a Christian, again, didn't have a clue what sin really was, didn't understand how it affected me. Um, I was in high school, so a lot of the things I did were normally sinful. Like norm, being a normal American teenager is like 60% sinful. Like that's, I didn't know that. Like um, uh, my hormones were at a, an age where they were raging. Ogling girls was normal. But wrong, inappropriate. It was second nature, but that didn't make it right. My, this is unfortunate, but my, uh, my heart had more concern with how my hair looked most days than whether or not I could help hurting people, which is probably why God took it away, maybe. He's like, fine, you're going to care so much about that hair? Gone. I don't know. Maybe that's what happened. Um, some of you right now, you're so distracted by the fact that I used to have hair that you're no longer paying attention to what I'm talking about, right? But we're talking about sin hiding in our lives, right? Um, I remember just having a hunger for money and stuff. I, I used to be so into cars and wanting certain cars. Like I wanted a fast car, I wanted a nice car. Um, I, I remember my dad bought a 1981 Corvette. Um, and it was a little, need some, needed some help. You know, um, when you flipped up the, the headlights, they had the, the kind that were supposed to pop up like this, but it was like... <laughs> You know, one, one was a little slowed. Like, it's like how you wake up in the morning, you know, like that kind of thing. But I saw the potential, and it, those cars are so sleek and beautiful, and you feel like you're sitting on the road when you're behind the wheel. I, I spent so much time trying to convince my mom and dad that that should be my first car, and they were like, you will die. No, son, you know, that kind of stuff. But I wanted stuff. I was so hungry for stuff. I wanted to get rich by any means possible, and you know, all those things, when they're left unchecked, can be sinful things. And for the most part, my life was full of sin. And then I become a Christian, and I didn't even know that those things were wrong and sinful. And what we need to talk about is that you and I, we need to have our sins made known. It is not a fun process. It can often be a scary process because you're going to learn that some of the things that you love aren't okay. Some of the things that are your favorite habits in life aren't okay. Some of the things you want most in life are bad desires. And so I had to learn what was sinful and what wasn't. And it's hard. It is so tricky. And it's difficult for us to accept. And a lot of times what it's going to kind of do to us is it's going to help us realize that some of the things that we don't want to give up are the thing that's holding us back the most. And like I said, living in a place like this where Christianity has been assumed for so long, and for a lot of us, it's just kind of, yeah, this is a part of culture. Well, it's not anymore. And 
in some ways, he said, in some ways, there's some good in that because it's opening our eyes a little bit to what might be wrong with us as a people. Now, so things that are normally considered good might be bad. And like just some examples of this. I think sometimes the way uh, that parents have such a tendency in our culture to put an emphasis on their kids' extracurriculars is not good. I think it can be sinful. We spend all our time teaching them about sports or grades or whatever it might be, some sort of you know, thing that they're good at and they love, and it's a fine thing. There's nothing wrong with the thing, but the way we misprioritize everything and we put so much energy into helping them shape a skill or a sport or a grade, but we give so little attention to spiritual development of our children. I think that's sinful. And it's wrong because in the church, we're just as guilty of it as anybody else But we have God's word telling us that it is the parent's responsibility to invest spiritually in our children, to help them know the way of God so that they can follow it. And again, there's so much of an imbalance that is acceptable and it is normal and nobody's going to call you out on it, ever. You, You make your kid the star player on the team, everyone's going to love you, high five you, and want to be you. Nobody says... Again, maybe the the sport's not wrong, doing it's not wrong, but no one's going to say, maybe it's too much. Maybe you need to peel back a little bit and make more room and time to invest spiritually in the heart of your child. No one tells us that stuff. I think the way that we never stop as a culture is wrong. We never take breaks. We go and we go and we go. Our weekends, we don't go to work most of the time. We just do different work. We never find time to take a break and enjoy the peace that God wanted us to enjoy. You see, the rhythm of the Sabbath, the seventh day, was meant to be that moment where we, one, stop trying to accomplish things and, stop and start realizing God's got all this. The world keeps spinning and life is okay even if I'm not busy doing something. Now, some of you, you you've gone for so long at 90 miles an hour that one second of stopping drives you crazy. But it might be good for your soul to remember the world doesn't depend on me. My life doesn't depend on me. My life depends on the work and hands of my God. And again, you go and go and go and you achieve and achieve and achieve. Everybody high fives you, loves you and wants to be you. And no one tells you to stop. Nobody's points out that maybe this isn't a great thing. And so what we have to do as a people is we have to start learning what's sinful, what's right, what does God want for you and for me? I think the way our culture handles money is oftentimes not great. We have a hunger for it, a love for it. We think money solves all the problems. It's, it's a thing. I remember one of the first things I did when I turned 18, bought lottery tickets, because that's how I was going to get rich. You know how much money I made? None, none. I lost dollars one at a time. Give me another scratcher. Give me another scratcher. You know, I did did that little game. Me and my friends, we'd go over, we were so excited. We're grown and we're going to be rich, you know. And and there's this hunger thinking that's going to solve all the problems. But God tells us there's more to life than having everything. And he really would prefer that we are more generous, open-handed people who use what he's given us to be a blessing to others rather than to get more and more and more and more and more so that we can insulate ourselves from fear and try to be more comfortable. 
And so much of how we live is sinful, and we don't even have a clue. Other things that are fine, gossip, pride, I mean, envy, crude, vile language, all that stuff, totally fine. Nobody calls you out on it. In fact, I've been called out for not speaking more inappropriately before. Like, that's what, like, I've had people say that to me. More, that you're, that's more likely to happen than someone to call you out for saying, such, saying horrible things, telling crude jokes and whatnot. It's, you know, and, and, and so what we need sometimes is something to open our eyes and to show us a better way forward. But again, it's going to mean sacrificing, giving up the life that maybe we've planned for ourselves, letting God shape the desires of our heart to something better. And so what we need to do is we need to start taking God's definition of right and wrong seriously. Our culture has told us, you are the king or the queen of morality. You determine morality for yourself, and nobody can tell you any different. But what if that's not helpful? What if God has a better way forward for you and me? And so we need to take sin seriously. And for a Christian to, take sin, for a Christian to not take sin seriously is an insult to what Jesus did, died on the cross for. It's, it's an insult to the work he did on the cross and the pain that he suffered for you and for me. Now, back in Romans, Paul is talking to people who didn't take sin seriously because um, he taught that, again, the grace of God is bigger than your sin, right? You've heard that. No matter how much you sin, God's grace is always going to be big enough to, to meet your sin. It's going to be fine. It's going to be great. God's grace is bigger than your sin. And so what's interesting, though, because Paul said, no matter, the more sinful you are, the more gracious God is. Then people started saying, wait a minute. Then shouldn't I be more sinful? Because aren't I then just making God better at being gracious? The more, when I'm really bad, Paul, don't I just give God a better chance to show off how good he is to the world? And Paul's like, um, no, that's not how this is supposed to work at all. And so they didn't think their behavior mattered because God would just come along and wash it all away anyway. And so Paul says this at the beginning of chapter 6 of Romans. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. He's like, yes. God's sin has no limit, and no matter what you do, his grace and forgiveness can reach beyond that. He's like, but that doesn't mean you should, you know, see if God has limits. That doesn't mean you should test it out and see how far God will go. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then a little bit later, down to verse 11 in Romans, he says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions, do not present your members, meaning your bodies, your arms, your legs, how you talk, all that stuff, the parts of, your, of who you are. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. In another letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul says it this way. 
For this reason, I bow my knees before my Father, meaning I'm praying for you guys hard. He says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of that love, he says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What Paul's trying to say here is that it's not just our behavior that's wrong, it's deeper, it's our hearts. The allegiance of our hearts is off. And that the sinful behaviors are bad, sure. The things we do that hurt ourselves and hurt others, that's bad. But the real issue is deeper than that in our hearts. And it starts with the hold that sin has on us to shape our hearts and to mess us up at the deepest places. And it starts with our desires. Did you ever stop to think that maybe the things you want aren't good? Like the the desires of your heart are wrong. Again, our culture says, follow your heart. It'll take you to the right place every time. I know a lot of people whose heart led them to jail or a courtroom or a funeral home. I mean, like our hearts just don't always want the right things. And so it starts with having uh, this ability to, to stop letting sin shape our hearts and to let God shape our hearts. But because there's plenty of stuff that the Bible says is wrong that, again, we have no problems with. And there's a lot of bad priorities and lustful activities and ways to live that are just fun and normal. And God says, no, they're sinful, and I have something better for you. And so what we need is to surrender not just our behavior to God and say, okay, God, I'll jump through some hoops. I'll yell at my family in the car, not in the building. I'll put some money in the plate. I'll go to church. I'll do a few things. No, God doesn't just want your behavior. We surrender to God even the desires of our heart and saying, God, I'm not here to live for what I want. I want to live for what you want. God, I want to want what you want. I want you to shape my heart so that I crave the things you crave and I dislike the things that you like. It's not just God help me to do the things that I should do, but it's God help me to not even like sin anymore and help me to have a hunger for what is good and right. And so if we want to truly be a lifelong follower of Jesus, we must give up our desires for God's desires. We lay down what our hearts want and say, not what I want, but what you want for me. We need to daily surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in us so that over time, God's desires become our desires and that our hearts begin to align with the heart of God. And again, choosing to let our desires, even our hearts be shaped by by God, that's a decision to give up things that are going to be hard giving up. It might mean losing relationships with the people that you're like, I have friends and they're my friends and all we do together, like they're my sin friends, like they're my sin buddies, like they're the people I go sin with. Like you're going to learn sometimes that the desires of your heart are wrong and that when you learn the desires of God, you're going to see, oh wow, those friends, that's all we do is, is the wrong thing. Um, it might mean saying no to an income opportunity that's going to be really good in some ways, but it's going to mean you don't have breathing room in your life that God wants you to have. It might mean you take a stance that is different than your political party. And in that, oh boy, our day and age, oh, gasp. 
That is a horrible thing to do. How dare you? Everybody's either not Republican enough or not Democrat enough or too Republican or too Democrat. And, you know, it's, and so to, to, say, to follow God honestly, you're going to find yourself at odds with both the donkey and the elephant. It's just the way it is. Neither one of them has the corner on the market when it comes to holiness. And so we've got to decide what is important in our life. What is more important, my way of living or the way God wants for me to live? And so we've got to say, I, I'll follow Jesus and let him reshape my heart, change my desires. And I'm willing to say no to the things I want. And here's the thing. No one can make that decision for you. You have to make that decision for you. And no one's probably going to call you out on it, except for me, I guess, on Sundays. You know, I've never had somebody come up to me after church, by the way, and say, hey, you know the way you said people take sports too seriously? Good job. Nobody has ever said that to me on a Sunday morning. You know why? Because they're like, how dare he talk about kid sports? You don't touch kid sports. That's life. Like, nobody says that to me. Nobody comes up to me and says, hey, you know what? I'm glad you said I should say no to that income opportunity and make less money so that I could be more honoring to God. Good job, preacher. Nobody says that stuff to me. Why? Because we don't want to hear it. Because the desires of our heart are corrupt. And God is trying to show us something better. So how do we realize what that something better is? Well, Paul said it a little bit ago. do 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 there it is. Oops. He says he wants us to have, be strengthened by the power through the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit in our inner being. He wants us to have, be shaped from the inside by the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, how do we do that? Well, one of the main ways the Spirit shapes us is when we read the Word of God. The Spirit uses God's Word to mold and shape it. It's as if um, our hearts are Play-Doh. And the Bible is a mold, and the Spirit is the one that can press the mold into our hearts to be reshaped according to God's desires. And so the Spirit uses God's Word to educate us and light the proper way forward. And we'll never be able to do God's will until we know God's Word. That's just the reality. We're never going to fully live out God's desire for our life until we know what He calls His people to do. And so through um, several different things, we can learn his word. Church attendance helps. We try to preach the gospel on Sunday mornings. Um, personally, spending time in God's word on a daily basis can really be helpful. Um, there's, and there's never been a better time to do that. One of the biggest frustrations I have as a pastor is that we live in the, an age where people have never had more resources to have God's word open to them and explain to them, and we don't use any of them because there's... Too many dumb things to watch on YouTube or TV or whatever a million different distractions we have. And so there's a ways to, to have our, uh, get the word into our life on a daily basis. Um, you can get into a growth group. We have one on Sunday morning that meets at 9 a.m. We have one that meets on Wednesdays as well in the evenings. Um, there's ways to get God's word into our life so that we can just say, God, shape me, mold me, make me yours. Let me get away from my evil desires to follow your more righteous desires. But we have got to take this seriously. We've got to take sin seriously. And we've got to be willing to give up some stuff from our life so that God can lead us to something better. We cannot be okay with there being sin in our lives that we've just ignored and been unaware of. We've got to do everything we can to discover what it is and root it out um, because Jesus died to fully break sin's hold in your life. 
to fully free you. So that not just only, not just so that you can go to heaven, but so that you can be the person he wants you to be. But sin, it destroys, it kills, it steals from you. And why would we choose to live in it any longer? That's the question Paul gets us with. Why would you even want to do that anymore? And so we need to devote ourselves to growing in our likeness of Jesus by having our hearts revealed for what they are, sinful and broken, and let Jesus' spirit try to reshape them into something newer and better. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word and its ability to shape us by the Spirit's work. And so I just pray that we would want to be different, that we would want to be changed by your goodness and life. I pray that we would want to be people who are saying no to sin, even if it's normal, even if it's accepted, even if the sin makes our life easier in certain ways. I pray that we would still hate it, and want to hate it so that we can live the life you have for us. Because there's just, there's stuff in our hearts, Father, that is not honoring to you, and it's not helpful for us. And it's holding us back from being the people you've made us to be. And it's holding us back from living out the lives and the mission that you've created us for. And so I just pray that we would open up and give you access and give up our own desires so that we can hopefully begin to want your desires. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done. Thank you for wanting more for us than what we're okay with. Thank you for telling us, begging us not to settle for kind of different. You want us to be radically different. You want us to remove every trace of sin from our lives, and you are working tirelessly for that goal. And I just pray that we would surrender and help you so that your work in the Spirit, through the Spirit, can truly make us like Jesus. It's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen.